Hey, it works. All right, so today we're talking about not such a popular topic <laughs> in our society and in our culture. We're talking about suffering of the Christian, and it's a cruciform way of life. And I just want to make sure everybody understands this, because sometimes I think we forget. Everybody suffers. Everyone. Whether you're a believer or you're not a believer, everybody suffers. Some suffer more than others, but everybody suffers because we live in a broken world. Let's not forget that. So sometimes I think we forget that. We think there should be no suffering and everything should be perfect. And we want that in the future or when? Now, today. Okay? And so I just want to remind you that that's not for today. That's for the future. And so when you are tempted to complain and grumble about your suffering, which who isn't? Let's just be honest. We're going to be real here, right? We all want to complain. But I want you to change that pattern of thinking to say, wow, I long, I groan, I moan for eternity. When the new heaven and the new earth will be here and all the tears will be wiped away, all the aches and pains will be gone, sin will be done away with, death will be done away with, and we will live in our new glorified bodies that have no flaws. The problem is, is we want that now. And it's not for now, it's for later. And the enemy likes to make us think that because we don't have it now, that God is mean, <laughs> or that God is judging us, all right? And that is going to be actually further from the truth. If you have confessed Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then God is not judging you, but forming you and, and bringing you up into the fullness of Christ. And the suffering that you are going through as a child of God has purpose and meaning. It's not just to be miserable. And I think all of us can say those days when we're just flat out miserable, right? Whether it be physical pain, emotional pain, mental pain, right? So what do I mean by using this fancy word, a cruciform way of life? Because it's kind of a big word, but cruciform refers to the cross. And I know we wear the cross around our necks, and it's a cool symbol. But do you know what the, in the first century what the cross represented? What did it represent, church? It represented death. So when I say we live a cruciform way of life, I mean that we are dying on our crosses every day. That means I'm saying not my will be done, but your will be done. I'm dropping to my knees every moment sometimes saying, not my will be done, but your will be done. I'm releasing, relinquishing the control that I, I think I have, but I really don't have. So turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We already went through 1 Corinthians. Did the Corinthian church have it together? <laughs> no, they didn't. They needed unity, didn't they? And they, ha- they needed to act rightly so that they could achieve unity. And it was a very prosperous church, kind of like Americans. We're pretty prosperous, right? And, and we kind of even look down on those that are impoverished, right? 
we say, as, a, as conservative Americans, we say, why can't they get their act together? If everybody works hard, everybody can have what they want. Isn't that sometimes the mentality that we have? Well, see, they look down on Paul because Paul was poor, because Paul worked with his hands. Now, we don't look down on people who work with their hands, because that's what we do <laughs> uh, culturally. But they were arrogant and full of themselves. And Paul is here saying to them, this is the late way of life. It's not about you. It's about the cross. It's about Jesus dying on that cross and rising again, where you live in that reality. The gospel in the grind, if you would. Because each of us need the gospel in the daily grind. I need the gospel when I get up in the morning and have to roll out of bed with my feet first and then like let my weight of my legs pivot me up so I don't mess up my back. You know that, like... Until a year ago, I didn't get out of bed that way. I, I, I got out of bed by like, gee, sit up. Oh, yeah, totally did that, right? Then pivoted and got out of bed. Now I have to kind of fall out of bed. I know, that's minor. It is. It really is. But the Lord, the, the enemy can take minor things and make them major, can't he? All I have to do is shift my focus. So let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. That's okay. Um, and while you're turning, though, I want to ask you this question. How do you view suffering? How do you see it? How do you view suffering? Now, our culture says one word to suffering. Bad. No, nada, get it away, right? Pretty much. And that's what we catch all the time, right? We have one more supplement that's supposed to make us happy or healthy, right? We have one more exercise device that's supposed to make us skinny, right? I mean, it's always there, right? Or one more thing, hey, eat this chocolate, you'll feel super great, right? I mean, there's always something. And everywhere we go, we pull out these things, these things listen to us, and then they give us ads that feed what we were talking about. I know they do, right? Especially if you're on Facebook, right, or using Google, right? I mean, I could say to my phone, well, I won't, but I could say, well, I'll say it, so if he comes awake. Hey, Google. Hey, good. She, she didn't come awake. Maybe she was psyched out or something. No, I think I turned that off. But a lot of us can say, hey, Google, right? Uh, Alexis, all the Apple phones come alive, right? But how do we view suffering? Well, we view that it conflicts with our comfort, don't we? So we have a very negative view of suffering. And so I want you to challenge yourself, how does God view suffering, right? God views suffering as a means to show his glory. Oh, <laughs> Ouch. God views suffering as a means to show his glory, his work. He died on the cross. He took all the suffering upon himself. And then he rose again to conquer that. So for the believer, all the suffering that you go through has purpose for the glory of God. How do we see that glory? Well, that's hard to see sometimes. It really is. But God works it for his glory. And he's not indifferent to you. He's not causing the suffering. The suffering is here. Who su everybody suffers. 
Christians, the suffering has a point. It has a place. And God cares about your suffering. Right here it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies. Amen? And the God of all, what does it say? Comfort. Oh, I just want to snuggle into that word and put it around my little blanket and get Cyrus on my lap and pet him because it's just super cuddly. Right? The God of all comfort. I need to speed up because it's not going to be able to get through this if I keep doing this. Who comforts us in all, all, all afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in affliction with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. We comfort, God comforts us. We are then called to comfort others. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, we all here suffer. Christ took all his sufferings upon the cross. So in our suffering, we share in Christ's suffering. That's a little different perspective, isn't it? And since Christ took it on himself and paid for it all, he has the power to make that suffering productive in my life. That's an amen, by the way. He makes that suffering productive in my life. So through Christ, we share abundantly also in the comfort too. Part of that comfort is knowing that the suffering is not just to suffer. The suffering is not to just to suffer. It has a purpose. It has a point. First off, glorify God. Second off, prepare me for heaven. Thought off, build character within my soul. <laughs> Sometimes I'm slow. <laughs> character it does not come very fast. For even now we came into mass. Uh, jump over to uh, <coughs> seven five. So it says, for even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest. Ever feel like that? Ever feel like you just can't get caught up, no matter how much you try to sleep, or you don't even have the time to sleep? Who needs sleep? I hear that phrase all the time. Who needs sleep? I'll sleep in eternity. Right? It's kind of like an oxymoron, but right? We had no rest. We were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. Ever, that, that describes me some days. Does it describe you some days? This is Paul. The Apostle Paul is here. He, he is in this space. But he says this, but the God of comfort, but the God who comforts the downcast. You feel downcast? God is there and he wants to comfort you. The catch is, is you got to see uh, trials the way God sees them. Because if you're not looking at them the way God sees them, and all you're doing is, actually, it's actually words that you use, but I can't say them from here. And you're mad at who? Who do you usually end up mad at when you're suffering and you're complaining about it? Who? Who do you get mad at? You get mad at Yahweh. How absurd is that? That's absurd. The one who redeemed you, the one who has called you by name, the one who loves you, the one who went to the cross and took on the very suffering that you're suffering for, you're mad at him? <laughs> He's the one that's going to make this suffering mean something 
do something, be profitable. And he's coming to comfort you. And he comforted by the coming of Titus. This is very important, brothers and sisters. We're not called to live in isolation. If we want the comfort of God, we've got to rub shoulders with each other. Because God sends comfort through our brothers. Here he sends comfort through the brother Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort which, with which he was comforted by, as you, by you as he told us of your longing and your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced all the more. They responded to his letter, his previous letter, with repentance, and so he's happy about that. That brought him comfort. So God wants to comfort you in your suffering. Suffering is a wide category, and everyone here suffers, whether it's physical, emotional, or mental. And I want you to know, God wants to meet you there with comfort, and God is using it for a purpose. God comforts you through your brothers and sisters, so we need to be in fellowship. One thing COVID did is break up that face-to-face fellowship, and that's not healthy. I understand if you need to scream and you have health concerns, and that's the only way. I get that, but, I, but we really, as brothers in Christ and sisters in Christ, need to go to those people who can't get out and say, hey, we love you, and we just want to see you face-to-face. You know what that would mean to them? What comfort that would bring to them, you see? And right now, when you're in your deepest, darkest place, you do need the Holy Spirit to bring somebody to step into that space and say, not suck it up buttercup right that's not what they need to say they need to say god is here with you he is here and he is walking even when you don't feel it even when you don't see it he is walking because god's purposes for you are good even in your suffering everyone suffers suffering points us to the cross so god gives what comfort you want God's comfort? Then you got to not be blaming him for the suffering that's going on in your life. He's redeeming it. He's not causing it. Second Corinthians 1.8 says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. This is deep. This is like low, 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 super low, like on the edge of suicide. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. And that lowness, and and you might be low right now. You might be super low, and you might be feeling like life would just be better if it just stopped. And you probably are feeling a whole slew of emotions of guilt about that. And I want you to say, to know that God comforts you. He doesn't condemn you. He comforts you in that space. He meets you in the pit. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, 
thou art with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So in the hole, turn your eye to the one who is suffering with you. He's not on the top of the rim saying, get up! You can do it! Reach! He's in the hole. He's in the hole. The deepest, darkest hole, that's where he's at with you. Because he took that hole on the cross. And that hole that you're in is to make you know that you need him. That you need him. Because he is the only one that can deliver you from such a deadly peril. And he delivered us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. Where's your hope? Is your hope in your bootstraps? Is your hope in your grit? I hope your hope is in Jesus who suffered for you. Not that you wouldn't suffer, but that your suffering would have a purpose. And we help each other by praying. You must also help us by prayer so that the many will, so that many will give thanks on all behalf for the blessing granted to us through the prayers of many. At the end of the service, we always pray for one another. And we need to continue to pray for one another here at the service, but we also need to continue to pray for one another during the week to help, to encourage, and maybe even go physically to those people and say, God is here. God is working. And I want to walk with you and be the God of comfort to you in your time of need. Like Titus. Second Corinthians 4, 7 through 12. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power of God belongs to us, belongs to God and not to us. Clay. It's not very fancy pretty dirty. Did you know really in ancient times there was two types of, of kitchen well? Bronze and clay. Bronze was super expensive. Clay, pretty cheap. Now, lots of us have a lot of dishes in our house, don't we? And we have some dishes that are just for daily use, right? And then we have dishes that are s common use. Clay, Daily or, uh, I mean, or dishes for daily use, sorry, dishes for fancy, like we have a fancy din dinner, right? Right? Some of us do that. Some of us don't. What's this? Fancy or, or, or normal? It's normal, right? It's just, and it doesn't look so good. We have this treasure in jars of clay. Our bodies are jars of clay, okay? To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Who gets the glory? God gets the glory. 
Who's walking through our bodies? God. The death of Jesus is walking in our bodies as we suffer with him. But that death of Jesus is going to be manifested. That's what it says here. Watch. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, by not, but not destroyed. These are all things that are pressing in. But God has you in the palm of his hand. You're the apple of his eye. And though you may be being pressed and buffeted, he's using the suffering purposes in your life that we can't even see and we can't even understand. So we have to walk by faith and not by sight, as the song said, and as the, as the, the scriptures would say here. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. These clay pots carry, whoops, I cut the door, sorry, Paige, you have to vacuum up here. She left, okay. Uh, the death of Jesus. So the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Suffering is to show the manifestation or show Jesus. For we who live are always be given over to death for Jesus' sake. So the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. We are jars of clay. You know what? And some of us are kind of whole like this, but maybe not quite so whole. And others of us, is this in the camera right here? Look like that. Because that's what suffering, that's what life has done. And we are broken. And all of us really are broken, some just more broken than others. This is us. This is what God comes and says, yeah, I'm going to walk with this. I'm going to walk with this jaw of clay. I'm going to pick up the pieces. Is it still in the camera? All of the pieces. Okay, I'm going to pick up these pieces from down here. It'll be easier. This is me. This is you. And sometimes in our own bootstraps, we go like, yeah, okay, I can do this. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. There we go. I got it all together. I'm good. Are we good? Not in of ourselves, are we? How are we good? The only way we're good is Jesus. Jesus walking in us. He takes this very brokenness and manifests, shows his life in this. And this is who I was. And I will walk with some of this brokenness until eternity. 
what is suffering? Suffering is sharing in the body the death of Jesus. This brokenness is me saying he took this to the cross so that it has place and purpose in my life. It matters. And he calls me to respond in faith that he's working even when I don't feel it, that he's working even when I don't see it, that he's working even when I am angry that I'm broken <laughs> and I'm tired of being broken. And I'm mad at you because I think it's you that broke me. But he didn't break you. <laughs> he died and shared in your brokenness to bring wholeness. Each one of us carries in us the death of Jesus because he died for it all so that we might live and so that we might not rely on ourselves because how can that rely on itself? It's, it, it's ludicrous but that we would rely on him. What is the purpose of our suffering? The suffering is to show the life of Jesus in us. That's the point. So who do we rely on? Who we call to look to when suffering slaps us upside the head so much that we're spinning around and dizzy and maybe just down for the count? Despairing of life itself. Who are we to look to? Who are we to look to? Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God, making intercession for me and you for the saints. Oh! He's working in my brokenness. He's manifesting his good news, his life in my brokenness. This brokenness is to keep us from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations. Paul had gone to heaven, up to the third heaven, and received a special revelation from Jesus himself. And God gave him, I, I don't, this has so many things in it, but a thorn in the flesh, a messenger from Satan. You know, the members of our bodies, sin within us is, is bad enough, but yet we do have a demonic force that wants to sideline us. It wants, he wants to make us ineffective. So Paul has given this messenger of Satan to harass him, to keep him from becoming proud. To think that, hey, I'm the Pharisee of Pharisees. I got the law down. I got everything together. I'm the perfect Christian. I don't smoke. I don't chew. I don't go with those who do. I wear my suit and tie on Sunday. I have my daily devotions every day. I'm the super Christian. I got it all together. And if you don't look like me or swim like me, you're not with me. You know what? That's the attitude we have sometimes. 
We try to catch these fish that are swimming in the pool of the life, and we try to clean them up before we catch them. So it's to keep us from becoming conceited and full of ourselves, that we need God just as much as everybody else. Your pastor needs God just as much as you do. I might have more biblical knowledge than you, but I struggle every day to make it applicable to my life as I struggle to help you understand it in your own life. Paul says three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. How many times did I pray for 12 years for my migraines to be gone? How many times? How many times did you guys pray? Just in the short uh, four years that I was with you, I've been with you five now, they've been gone a year. How many times? I pleaded and prayed and prayed and pleaded. And God would always say to me when I was sitting in that dark room, he would say, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. And I would do my best to say that I will boast in you. And I'd struggle to be glad of my weakness. But that weakness made it so that the power of Christ would rest upon me, upon you. Your weakness is an opportunity. It's a door for Christ to be manifested, for his power to be shown, for his grace to empower you to do what he's called you to do, for you to die to yourself and live for the sake of Christ. Then I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong in Jesus. In the cross. In the gospel. The cruciform way of life. So what is this grace? This grace is the grace to help you in your time of need. It's an empowering grace to get you through the next step, to get you to take your eyes off the problem and put them on Jesus. Peter walked on water, and what happened when he started to look at the problem, the waves? What did he do? Sank. And then what did he do? Lord, save me! Right? And I'm sure God reached, Jesus reached down, grabbed him, and he was like, boom, you know? And he, like, jumped up on him. I would have been like, boom, I'm like a bear hug. I'm not letting you go. Right? You ever been? I've drowned, like, almost drowned once. I'm actually kind of scared of water. I mostly got over that fear. But when I was, like, 10 years old, I was not a great swimmer, and I fell through the inner tube. And I can remember, it seemed like an eternity, I was trying to get back up into the inner tube. And when that person came into the water and they grabbed me, I grabbed them. <laughs> with everything that I had. And I almost drowned them, right? Because I was so desperate for that life source. And if you're in that hole, Jesus is there, and I want you to grab him with everything that you have. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Know who you are in him. That's the grace. Oh, bad cough. How's it? Is God's strength shown? God's strength is shown when we respond to him. And does it take the problem away? Not necessarily, but it sustains us through the problem. It sustains us 
through the suffering. Suffering keeps us humble. It shows the life of Jesus in us. Isn't that cool? I mean, not cool, but cool. You know what I mean. It's like, ugh, it has a bad taste, but it's also very refreshing all at the same time. Oh, I'm out of time. Oh, shoot. Okay. Bear with me. For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I see that the letter grieved you. This is talking about First Corinthians that he wrote, okay? Um, though you only for a little while, as it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting, for you felt godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For grief produces for godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly, worldly grief produces that what? What to say there, church? Death. Okay, we have a choice. Suffering causes grief. Okay? All suffering causes grief. Now, their suffering caused the grief that, uh, because they were sinning. <laughs> and sin always causes suffering. And sin always causes grief, okay? But sometimes we just suffer because the sin in the world, not because we have sinned, okay? But it always causes grief, and you have a choice on how you grieve. Will it be just a worldly grief or a godly grief? And you're like, what in the world are you talking about, Pastor? What are you talking about? Well, worldly grief goes kind of like this. Oh, woe, woe is me. Nobody loves me. Everybody hates me. God hates me most of all because look what he's doing to me. I might as well just die. Woe, woe is me. That's kind of worldly grief. Does that produce anything good? That produced a lot of death, didn't it? I can just feel the death descending on the room. Eeyore. What is godly grief? Oh, God. Oh, God, I, I feel as though you've forsaken me. I, I feel as though you don't care for me. God, where are you? God, why aren't you helping me? God, please help me. God, I am broken, and I don't know what to do. Lord, I don't know how to live. I don't know where to go. Help. Please help me. I need you. Lord, thank you. Thank you that even though I don't see you working, I know you're working in this brokenness. I know you're doing something with this that I don't understand, but I know that it is for my good. Because you have promised that you work all things together for good. You have promised that, and I cling to you. I hold to you because that is the truth, and that is the faith in which I stand. See the difference? One drives me away from God. One takes me deeper into the hole. The other one drives me to my Savior where I see the goodness of the Lord, and I am sustained by him. So I ask you, what is your habit? What is your habit when you grieve? Where do you go? 
Do you lament like I just did, or do you complain and grumble and gripe? You will have the joy of the Lord and more fullness of life in the brokenness that you walk in if you turn to him. So his life may be manifested in you. Second Corinthians 4, 16 through 18 says we do not lose heart, though we're at the deepest, darkest place. We do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. <laughs> Look at this. Right? And more things happen in life, right? And it breaks a little more, right? I can't break it, but you see what I mean. Right? One more thing, and you're like, gee, one's enough. This outer flesh is wasting away. But our inner self, our spirit, our emotions, our, our mind is being renewed day by day. As we walk in relationship with God in our suffering. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will feel no evil, for thou art with me. He's in the hole. With you. For this light and <laughs> oh man, I, I have a hard time with this phrase. Just so you know, for this light and momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond comparison. I'm sorry, but when we're in the thick of that hole, does it feel light and momentary? No, it doesn't. But the truth is, it is light and momentary in light of eternity. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are unseen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So how do we perceive suffering? I think by default we perceive it in a negative way. But how are we to perceive it? We're to perceive it as preparation. Suffering is preparing us. Preparing us for eternity. So James would say, count it all joy when you encounter various trials of many kinds. Ooh, <laughs> ouch. But that's what we're called to do. Because we know the result of the suffering. Everybody suffers. But for Christians, suffering has a purpose. Almost done. For we know that if this tent, that is our earthly home, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. We're going to get a new body. Woohoo! Oh, maybe I shouldn't have done that. Um, for this tent, we groan, uh, mm, uh, uh, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. This groan is a groan for eternity, not a groan for woe is me. See the difference? If indeed putting it on, we may not be found naked. It's not like we just totally, but that we might get totally clothed. For while we're still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that the mortal may become swallowed up by Life, the life of Jesus, the resurrection from the dead. We're going to get new bodies. 
He who prepared us for this very thing is God. Wow, God has prepared us. God is working. Even when we don't see it, he's working. And he's given us, he hasn't, he's given us his spirit as the guarantee. Woo! That is good news. So what are we grown for, church? We groan for heaven, for eternity. And, and every trial and everything that presses us in and grinds us down is to remind us that we need him and that we will be whole in eternity. Wow. Right minds. Healthy bodies. Right relationships. So suffering points us to eternity. So we're always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage that we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. That's our goal in life. This life is just a passage to live for Jesus, to be his light, his ambassador. So whether we're at home or away, we make it our aim to please Jesus. Not be mad at him, <laughs> but to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And this judgment seat is not one of whether or not you're going to hell. It's a judgment seat of how did you deal with the gifts and the talents and the cross that I gave you in life? Did you live for me or did you just kind of live for me? That's what it's kind of talking about. Not whether you go to heaven or hell. The hope of eternity gives us courage in suffering. The work of the cross gives us courage in suffering. Courage to make it one more day. Courage to press on one more day. Uh, John, that was Second uh, Corinthians, I think it was uh, 8. Uh, let me, I'm trying to go back. Was it 5? It was 5, uh, 6 through 10. Uh, so that, yeah, that last verse was 10. Can you click back to me to my end of that slide sequence? Yeah, that's uh, 510. The hope of eternity gives us courage in suffering. All right. We're getting close. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. What are we to do? It's in there multiple times. Die. Cruciform way of life. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ Jesus, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Your inner being is being renewed. What? Day by day, the new has come. We no longer regard ourselves in accordance with this brokenness. 
but we regard ourselves as brothers and sisters in the Lord, walking together for the glory of the kingdom of God. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting us the messengers of reconciliation. Because you get that, not counting their trespasses against them. The Satan loves to tell us the lie that God is punishing you for what you've done. That's a lie. The day of judgment is coming, but it is not now. Everybody suffers. Christians have points. Christian suffering has a point because God uses it for good. And we have that message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. This broken body makes the appeal that God is enough, that Christ's life is manifested in that, and we proclaim to the world that God wants a relationship with you, just like he has a relationship with me, and I can cling to him in the midst of this suffering and in the midst of this brokenness. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So suffering, suffering presses us into our identity. I've been crucified with Christ. It is not I that live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live to the glory of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It presses us into the identity that I am a child of God and that God is walking even when I don't feel it. God is walking even when I don't see it in my brokenness, through my brokenness. And he's not letting me be all put together in the perfect Christian because then his life nor his death will be fully manifested in me. So lean into your identity. Lean into your identity in Christ, showing the gospel to the lost world. Suffering is really the gospel in the grind. The daily grind. The gospel applies because it's redeeming you. It's making that grind have point, purpose, because God has a plan for everything that's happening in your life. And he's not vindictive. He's not thumbscrewing you. He's shaping you. And he's preparing you for an eternity. So lean into your identity. This is a song. Uh, we actually sang it last night. We're not singing it today, but I just want to read it to you. I am crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live. Christ Jesus now lives in me. I am crucified with Christ, therefore no, I no longer live. Jesus Christ now lives in me. Embrace the cross where Jesus suffered. Through, though it'll cost all you claim is yours, your sacrifice will seem small beside the treasure. Eternity can't measure what Jesus holds in store. Embrace the love the cross requires. Cling to the one whose heart knew every pain. Receive from Jesus fountains of compassion only he can fashion. Your heart can move as his.
Oh, the quickest, slowest way. Oh, wondrous cross of our, des our desire to rest in you. Oh, Lord Jesus, make us boldo to face with courage the shame and disgrace you pour upon your shoulder. Embrace the life that comes from dying. Come trace the steps the Savior walked for you. An empty tomb concludes Golgotha's sorrow. Endure then till tomorrow your cross of suffering. Embrace the cross. Embrace the cross, the cross of Jesus. And Father, we just come before you right now. We do confess that we do lose focus and we do become full of ourselves and, and grumble and complain in that way. And so, Lord, we just right now, as a community, as brothers and sisters in Christ, say no to ourselves and yes to you. We die to ourselves and live for you. And we thank you that you are here to comfort us in our pain and in our sorrow and that you will bring us to eternity with wholeness and wellness. May we remember that and cling to that as we suffer in this journey. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand.